You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Hey everybody, welcome back to Obus Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me today is... Lex Cardone. Robert Thomas. Kevin Truitt. And we're recording on April 19th, 2020, uh, which is a Sunday, which is the uh, going into the fifth week of quarantine or self-isolation or stay-at-home order, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, whatever this weird mess is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you could, if you don't, haven't noticed, we're also still using Skype to uh, record. We're not meeting up in person or anything like insane like that. That'd be a little much. No, I'm not leaving my castle. <laughs> Your uh, chateau in the Alps, Chateau you, du Cardone. You mm. mean your black hole of self reception? Um, yeah, that's that's how I'm cutting myself off, <laughs> except for these rare occasions. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, I'll reach out. I'll, I'll do this. Yeah. If you need to hear from me, you'll hear from me. But, you know. Yeah. So, we're talking about the Silk Road today. And we actually did an episode on this um, almost exactly two years ago. It's been that um, long. How yeah. long have we been doing episodes? Uh, June, June, June will be three years. Ooh. Um, but yeah, we did. We, we talked about the new Belt and Road Initiative that's being um, positioned by the Chinese government and all that kind of stuff. But we're not going to be talking about them really today. We're going to be talking about the original, old school, like original Silk Road and all the kind of implications that it had and, and all that kind of noise. But as always, uh, we're going to do our drinks and we're all drinking different stuff because, um, you know, <laughs> we're not together. So I'm mostly interested in. Knowing what Rob's drinking, because he's been like hiding what it is the entire time of doing prep. He's been very know, the rest, secretive. The rest of you go first. I want to okay. save this for last. I'll okay. start. I'm drinking a Stone Viking Space Probe Double IPA. Um, I want it. That is is eight and a half percent and is a hoppy cosmic nebula apparently. And if this is what hoppy cosmic nebulas taste like, I'm pretty impressed. Um, I give this one a five out of five. Nice. Uh, I'm drinking uh, a screwdriver, just some uh, Tito's and OJ, because I'm just going through my liquor cabinet. Well, like my liquor corner. I mean, the two or three bottles that I have left. Um, it's been a long quarantine. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's stuff I've just kind of had over time. Like, I, mean, I, guess I, should, I guess I should drink it. It's kind of what it's come down to. Yeah. Okay. Um, What's your ratio of OJ to vodka? Um, It's like just one and a half ounces of vodka and then like the rest of this um okay cup of standard fare yeah it's it's not it's not like it's not something ridiculous i could barely t- i didn't really taste the vodka yeah and and what is the um the comparison between how many stars you would rate it um if we were not in lockdown situation versus how you rate it now when you are going through the last remains of your uh supplies i mean i go like a four four and a half because it just tastes like oj it's just it OJ. Like, <laughs> yeah i mean like we'll we'll see if how affected i am during this episode by this but uh yeah. So what? yeah and kevin you're abstaining today 
Uh, yeah, for now. So I just crushed a crushed a nice coffee and a water, and I do have uh, uh I I have uh, Vienna or um, Devil's Backbone sixteen point uh, Imperial IPA in my fridge, which I really like. It's also nine point one percent. I had okay. three of those <laughs> the other night, and uh, as Lex can attest, I was getting a little loopy. I can. Uh, I mean, I'm loopy sober, but yeah, extra loopy. Uh, yeah, and then um, I also have some Woodford Reserve in my freezer, which is just, oh, it's a great whiskey, uh, or bourbon, excuse me. It's great bourbon whiskey, uh, and, you know, I might I might consider a, a glass later, depending on how, how wild the podcast gets. Yeah, well, if you're going to be reading in your reading nook with your glasses, you have to have a scotch or a bourbon by your side. Yes, Perfect. be a true intellectual. I have many leather-bound books. Yeah, I can see them. <laughs> this is true. Those of us actually recording have video feed of each other right now. So yeah, that'll never be put up. We'll never put video up. So it's that for would your, be a bad idea. It's for your benefit, audience, not for ours. It, it, it's for the benefit <laughs> of everyone faces, involved. We've got faces made for the radio. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> that Especially editing with the uh, the quarantine grooming standards. Oh. Or hey, you know what? I haven't shaved since I was sent home from work five weeks ago. That's all. It's grown. <laughs> it's getting it's starting to it's starting to curl up around starting yeah. to curl up around yeah like i've shaved my beard like twice during this well not shaved all but just trimmed it down jesus but yeah it's the leprechaun jeans <laughs> yeah it's it's less red because i've been outside less uh, i also i did shave my cheeks so that's why it's like there up here so okay look. okay yeah so what um this is the big moment Rob, this better be worth it at this point. Yeah. I'm gonna be like, don't building it up. Us. So something stupid. I'm gonna be really disappointed. <laughs> yeah. So last night I discovered online, and today went and picked up um, a beer that I am very excited about from New District Brewing Company, a local brewery here in Arlington. Uh, they have basically a pickup window open, so I ordered a nice big growler that I went and got around lunchtime today of the current imperial stout that they have on tap named wonderfully i am the senate oh wow that's fantastic I... And, yeah. and i love it from it jar jar binks amazing. to palpatine how would you rate that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um let me just say based on the the color and the flavor it reminds me of that other key palpatine quote that the dark side of the force is a gateway to powers that many consider to be unnatural. This is gonna be so we'll see how that's reflected in this podcast, <laughs> yeah, okay. given the nine percent alcohol of this. Oh, okay, I kind of so, I kind of want to try that now. I know I'm gonna. Where's I'm, New District I'm, uh, Brewing? Where, where, where's the brewery? Um, it's it's in Arlington, um, like twelve-ish minutes, uh, roughly south uh, of of where I am in the the Boston area. Nice. Oh well, I might. That's so. Several of us live in Arlington. That's very close. <laughs> so I might go get that. I might get that for uh, our next. So we're doing an event actually um, on April twenty eighth. Um, people in the, in the DC area know that we've in the past we've done live events. You know, the almost YP by Young Professionals in Foreign Policy YPFP presents almost dramatic and random topic. We've done Irish Hard Border. We've done. Chinese security services, essentially, and we did uh, nuclear security. We've done a bunch of different stuff. 
And um, we're going to be doing a live stream on globalization um, via YPFP. So that'll be myself, Lex, and Rob. And it should be fun. It's going to be different for us, but uh, I'm excited for it. There may be a, maybe a surprise guest. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, we it's... It's cool because we're using WebEx, and essentially what you can do with WebEx is that you can raise your hand, and when mm. you get selected, it'll show you your screen, and you're on camera. So everyone else can see you raise and actually ask the questions. It'll be interesting to see how that works. Hopefully we don't see anything we don't want to see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I, like, I'm, yeah. Kind of, I'm, oh, <laughs> I'm kind of worried about it, but I'm like, <laughs> I'll just laugh. Yeah. But um, it's it should be good, and it's kind of different for us. Um. So you, you can find that uh, information on ypfp.org, or you can also, it's uh, posted on under our Facebook page, and you can really check out any of our social media um, at Almost Diplo on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And, and and if you want, just come by and let us know what you think of our episodes. If you hate them, you hate stuff, you don't like it, then that's fine. Oh, we want to hear like the things. negative feedback. Yeah, we want, I, I don't care. Any feedback Bring it is, on. Yeah, it's like it's, it's funny no matter what. I don't care. Uh, or or if you want, there's stuff that you guys want us to hear us talk about. Um, but you're assuming of, that there's anything that people want to hear us talk about. Uh, well, it's nice. I'm over don't, it. For, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Right? <laughs> shut, shut, shut up. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the uh, Silk Road, Rob. What's that all about? So, I mean, you talked about the upcoming event that we're doing with YPFP on sort of globalization today, but the way that we think of globalization now may be new in some respects, but huge connections of of trade and exchange of people, goods, ideas, culture um, are an incredibly old and incredibly persistent part of human history. Um, when people th- hear the the phrase Silk Road, they usually have at least some kind of vague historical recollection of stories of Marco Polo or something like that. But really what you're talking about is kind of silk and spice roads, plural. Uh, this This whole history over thousands of years of multiple shifting networks of of exchange and travel across Europe and Asia um, that in some ways are sort of a thing that begins like when civilization begins. Um, You go back like 3,000 years to the Bronze Age before uh, kind of the the big collapse of a lot of the, the really ancient civilizations a uh, little over 3,000 years ago. And before that, you had trade networks from the Mediterranean up through Afghanistan um, as all of these civilizations were exchanging material and, and finished goods and ideas basically from at, as far back as we have written records of any kind. And so any point where you have even a little bit of stability uh, to facilitate it those kinds of things keep reemerging. That's that's been a huge feature of the history of human life. That's that's shaped all kinds of aspects of the world and of world history. Yeah, I mean, I think we can actually connect that in some respects to our recent episode. Well, I guess it's only relatively recent now on uh, nomads. 
uh, in the respect that you have a lot of areas where there are settled people throughout. So, you know, China, then you have like the Indus Valley, the, uh, the uh, Mesopotamia, and then, you know, Nile, and then further, you know, Europe, Rome. Uh, and these areas become centers, but those nomadic peoples in the interim uh, facilitate trade. And actually, in many uh, many instances, like, for instance, the Scythians who lived in the steppes uh, helped facilitate trade and cultural exchange uh, between these different centers of cultural and, you know, urban uh, civilization. Well, and, and a lot of different uh, sort of political entities, whether they be kind of smaller city-states or uh, powerful empires in their own right, over and over again ended up kind of growing and becoming the huge force that they were in large part because of the role that they were able to play as kind of brokers of all of this trade and exchange. I mean, economics as a huge part of geopolitics is not a new thing. Yeah, you saw a bunch of um, throughout this thousand, many thousands of year time period, um, states emerge along the Silk Road that you wouldn't think would be centers of civilization because there's no port, there's no river access in places like modern day Afghanistan um, actually became pretty wealthy states simply because they were along this trade node or at least adjacent to it. So it's and it's pretty interesting how quickly states and dynasties can emerge um, when there's the when there's the capital. Well, and and not just accumulation of wealth, but also cultural influence uh, and cachet. Yeah. I mean, places places like Bukhara and Samarkand, uh, mm -hmm. cities along the the Silk and Spice routes in current Uzbekistan, became. Uh, kind of major centers of, of learning and exchange of ideas as much as of material goods. Uh, and, and that's true of many other places al along this network of exchange. And I think, I, I think we sometimes underestimate the amount of just really complex, fascinating cross-pollination of people and ideas that's tied up with exchange of, of goods uh, that has been a feature of uh, of history as part of all of these networks for a very long time. I mean, the, as just kind of one interesting example, you have a, a huge, wonderful history of uh, Buddhist art and sculpture um, that goes that goes back two thousand odd years. Buddhists generally only started even making sculpture and in particular sculptural representations of of the buddha in response to sort of proselytizing competition from the cult of apollo that penetrated into central asia with alexander's conquest and his successors so they started adopting kind of whole new styles of of art and the use of art in religious settings in response to to an infusion of Greek ideas uh, that made it in way into Central Asia. And in exchange, there ended up being certain motifs and, and concepts that came from Buddhist and Hindu art and iconography that then moved their way west and became prominent uh, in 
various various forms of Western, including Christian uh, yeah. religious art and iconography. Yeah, the belief systems, especially a lot of the early Christian sects, were influenced by um, uh, this, this sort of Gnostic Arianism kind of uh, deal. <clears throat> they were influenced pretty heavily by Buddhist um, Buddhist teachings, um, by Islam, by Manichaeism, by um, what was the Zoroastrianism, the idea of a duality, good versus evil. Um, so yeah, it's, there's, well, culture is not a box. It's, uh, it's certainly very fluid. Well, and one, oh, go ahead, Rob. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, to that point, uh, I mean, whether you're talking about religion or art or food or political systems, um, I mean, as, as you put it, like cultures aren't, aren't boxes. Right. Um, instead what you have is every, every culture that we know of in every one of its dimensions has been at its earliest roots shaped by exchange and interaction with other people and places. Uh, There is no such thing as a cultural or ethnic group that is some sort of stable monolith lasting through uh, age after age. No, we are all, we're all a product of exchange and interaction. Uh And we always have been, that is the history of civilization. Yeah, it's and yeah, it's kind of that exchange, whether it's trade, whether it's material or more philosophical, that sense of, um, you know, that's, as you said, that's always been a feature of modern or like human civilization, um, either on a grand scale, like the Silk Road or sort of uh, the more, you know, primordial era. But it's yeah, where so when I think of the Silk Road, do you think like, I don't know when that, like, that's always that belt, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's not just a belt. There's also the maritime portion, which, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, uh, Southeast Asia, and to some extent, there were Chinese uh, cultural and economic expeditions that went to India. And then India had actually a pretty strong trade with uh, the Roman and later Byzantine Empire, to some extent, through, uh, through Egypt. Uh, But to like, where did, obviously that belt has been, or that strip has been a modicum of, or a, a means of cultural, economic, uh, philosophical, et cetera, exchange for, you know, thousands of years. But when did what we would call the, the Silk Road really begin? Do you think you could link it back to Alexander's time, sort of the, the, this Greek military force streaking down and uh in all the way to india i mean i would say that there's there's not necessarily one single answer there are sort of multiple things that were key and i I, it is important to to keep in mind that it's never been like a single contiguous route with the exact same places as the the go-to's at all points like often the the places where travel would go through would shift in response to uh local conditions changing Mm -hmm. but i mean certainly alexander's conquest um was was a major influence on kind of laying the groundwork for how enduring a lot of it became but really the achaemenid persians did a lot to Mm -hmm. to kind of open up the some of this exchange even before that but really when you start to get it kind of hit a a certain 
reach and point of stability where it it really seems to kind of take on some inertia that is hard to break that cuts across the whole landmass is around the time of the Roman Empire at one end and the Han Dynasty uh, in China on the other end. Like because th- those two end up kind of in their respective peripheries com- kind of creating the anchors on both ends at roughly the mm-hmm. same time that a bunch of the powers in between managed to kind of get some stable ways of of kind of structuring and taking advantage of those transit routes uh, at, at various choke points. So it's that's like those... when it starts to become really stable. Yeah. And, and, and an interesting point I learned about was how the um, this idea of the Hellenized or Hellenistic world, um, you know, gr- the Greeks were actually in Central Asia uh, oh, the, before the Alexander's, yeah, before the Alexandrians, because I guess um, the Ionian Greeks on the eastern or the western shore of Asia Minor, many of them were um, basically forced after they rebelled and were crushed. The Persians resettled them. They pulled a pulled the Soviet Union um, and re- resettled them in Central Asia. So there was already a pretty um, far fl- far flung uh, common cultural node that. Um, you know, was very close to the, the Indian subcontinent, and um, so you, yeah. Sometimes uh, tragedies become modes of communication and cultural exchange. So, funnily enough, there was actually uh, there is a belief that there was a Roman, a mercenary Roman legion that fought a Chinese military force, like after the defeat of Justin the Apostate. Uh, be, and that was the first time the Romans and the Chinese fought each other, and that's along this this really? route, right? So you, I, mean, I feel like that's going to be made into a really shitty movie starring Gerard Butler or like <laughs> one of those other one of those like guys who make constant shitty action movies. It's it's really well, interesting. we could always get Michael Bay involved in add more explosions yeah. than are historically plausible. Michael Bay <laughs> would obviously have to direct. I yeah, mean, I mean, the Chinese were using fireworks, right? Sure. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> well, I think so, the problem. Go ahead, Rob. That's, 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 that's the next Transformers movie. Transformers as intervening in a Roman Chinese <laughs> conflict. That <laughs> sounds like a great movie idea. Yeah. <laughs> but can you need a little more of this stuff to enjoy yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, but one of the things that. that we haven't necessarily hit on a whole lot yet is is the why i mean we've talked a lot about the how um of all of this exchange happening but the question of of why a lot of this this interchange emerged in the first place and why it has proved so enduring is also really interesting and i i mean i would kind of go back to kind of just some of the, the core features of, of economics and the human condition to, to say that a key part of this is just at least when you're trying to live any sort of civilized life, people's basic needs, let alone their, their other interests and wants are just not possible to satisfy with only the things that happen to be available in their immediate area. So you have to end up moving and trading and exchanging and kind of figuring out who has what to 
to get any sort of well-balanced access to to economic means of having a, a decent life. Yeah, that's that's always been true. Yeah, you said it's interesting. Like Roman, rich Romans were wearing Chinese silks, and um, Italian glassware was really highly valued by the Chinese elite. Um, so it's it's just interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, did and you know that? I think it was the Byzantines or the the Roman Empire at some point stole or like borrowed a bunch about of right. silkworms from either the Chinese or some Chinese linked uh, linked group, and that became like this very vibrant silk industry in the West. Mm-hmm. Ryan, you look like you want to say something. Yeah, I do. I don't know if it's even relevant anymore, but I'm going to say it anyway. But I, I think the big. <laughs> No raising, I've, been, I've been raising my hand. <laughs> Social distancing gone wrong. Um, no, uh, I, the biggest thing I think is is trade isn't war. Is kind of like you know there's not because that just strains the supplies, treasure, manpower, and it, it's not sustainable. Especially like the bigger, like, like later the bigger empires like the Mongols, they kind of like oh, we'll, we'll trade up the West until we can conquer the West. Just I think there's something to that point about. Um, trade being a, a relative path of least resistance to, to get a lot of these things compared to conquer everywhere that has what you need and add it into your, into your own orbit because that takes a whole lot of work and resources on its own. Um, not that different individual people and uh, political regimes haven't tried such things at different points in the past. Uh, but it has has in fact turned out to be a really expensive and painful proposition. Well, and and one of the things with conquering those, like you look at the Mongols, when you if you have to fight a lot of the at a lot of these waypoints and you destroy them, then you lose the like. For instance, when the Mongols destroyed a lot of, I mean, they ended up reconstituting a lot of these places um, and reconstituting you know the Silk Road, but they destroyed a lot of these these you know waypoints and that disrupted trade um and ultimately in the short term at least it wasn't beneficial because a lot of the i mean eventually they managed to conquer enough where they could just subsume everything into their their trade network internally but they when you destroy those you know go when you like attack uh, a city where a lot of the goods are coming from then people aren't going to people aren't going to be incentivized to trade through there and that stops the trade or slows it down at least well and that's i mean that's a key feature i think of a lot of what you do see with the history of the the silk and spice routes uh across eurasia is how how much fluctuation you have based on uh based on conflict um either because you have wars break trade linkages um and and kind of cut off certain routes or because you end up having sort of one power that's successful militarily end up kind of being able to be the ultimate facilitator by imposing uh, rule of law, sometimes quite violently um, in a, a large domain to be able to get people through safely. Winning hearts and minds by taking hearts and minds. <laughs> So one thing I find fascinating about the Silk Road and this broader trade network going from Rome to Han China and you know subsequent dynasties um, and subsequent iterations of either the Roman Empire or 
the Muslim world, Europe, uh, is a lot of the trade. So, for instance, there was this really interesting element of trade between uh, the Eastern Eastern Mediterranean Rome and like Indian, like Indian states, some of the Indian states Mm -hmm. based off of because there was this coral that stays red when when it's it stays when it's exposed uh, that grows in the Eastern Mediterranean, but the and so red coral was prized in uh, in India because their coral leached white when it was exposed to air and over mm-hmm. a long enough period of time. So this this became this like very valuable commodity. So you see these and then silk coming from China. Uh, the glassware later coming from uh, all of these different uh, elements. So you see a lot of different goods unique to these different areas moving between all of these different points. And I, I think it's fascinating to look at how something that is commonplace in one place, you know, like for instance, the red coral, you know, the Mediterranean, they're like, okay, yeah. whatever. But in India or, you know, further abroad, it's like, this is a, this is a, a huge deal. This is a, I don't want to say delicacy. That's not the right word. Yeah. This is and even valuable. Well, like, most places, it wasn't like, just, like cinnamon and stuff like that. Like, you want to get that in Shiracha yeah, at the time. Spices. Yeah. It wasn't even, and it wasn't even luxury goods always, too. I mean, um, I guess Indian spices found their way into Roman cuisine and, um, you know, became very much a part of that culture. Um, so, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not simply just a, uh, I mean, obviously spices, many spices are very valuable, but it was, it kind of impacted all segments of society not just the elite. Like old yeah. bay. Old, old, yes. <laughs> the old bay. But I mean, even aside from sort of direct consumables in that way, sometimes really, really key aspects of raw materials, uh, were major supply chain issues, um, in a lot of these past phases of trade in Eurasia, uh, just like they are today. I mean, I mentioned earlier sort of these Bronze Age trade networks uh, from the Mediterranean through Afghanistan. A uh, big part of that was for the production of the bronze for which the Bronze Age is named, because to do that, you need copper, which they had in certain locations, and tin, which they had. Uh, in certain locations, including Afghanistan, to make the alloy. Uh, mm-hmm. They're they're not co-located, so you need to be able to exchange uh, across long distances in some cases for anyone in the network to get access to this really key material that's important for everything from kind of regular utilitarian tools to military applications. Although, of course, there are workarounds. You can make bronze with arsenic instead but that tends not to be real healthy for the people involved in the production process so there are workarounds to a lot of things but they are in many ways subpar if you don't have access to uh kind of the the best available supplies through a good trade network well arsenic schmarsenic uh roman women used uh used arsenic in their cosmetics so how bad could it could it be it's like it's like you know today you know everyone should go back to work you know if they die they die yeah oh, gosh well that's speaking of <laughs> herd immunity so, oh yeah so, we haven't even mentioned the disease factor so yeah. so yeah no I mean the, the black considering, 
considering yeah well black death the justinian plague which was also a bubonic plague which may have been the same disease um a lot of these plagues spread through the silk road because you have this massive exchange and and actually the justinian plague is believed to have devastated the and and in it followed it they believe it started in the east but they're not sure um and it followed these lines and i'm making a i'm using my finger to trace an imaginary line between China throughout the East. Um, and then through Persia into the Roman empire uh, or the Byzantine empire and killing, you know, thousands. And actually the damage was so extensive that in that case, it led to the emergence and then later dominance of the Muslim caliphate because the Persian, but the Persians and the Romans, the Eastern Romans were so devastated by this plague that a lot of areas were just completely abandoned. Uh, they fought this massive war and everyone was so exhausted that these Arab people who were less proportionately affected and now guided by a new religion emerge and conquer a lot of these areas already devastated. And in many cases, the, or in that case, the Muslim empire, the caliphate, very much reconstituted this middle area, or at least part of this middle area mm-hmm. between the poles. Yeah, and it's interesting how the, the these historical plagues also end up with unintended good, um, arguably good effects, like the Black Death reduced Europe's population by a huge amount, which made it so that there were more, uh, there were fewer work, fewer laborers, higher wages, more demand, and then you get the gradual building up of the the wealth of society and then you end up with and you couple that with the ideas um you get um both indigenously in europe and ideas from the silk road transmission trade routes um you kind of you you get into a situation like the italian renaissance um, with a lot of capital and a lot of new ideas that um come in the wake of these devastating events so, see, so, yeah, I mean, sometimes we, we see sort of these unexpected possible silver linings uh, to, to things like that. But it's also, I, I think, really important to remember that when it comes to chains of historical events, we don't exactly have some sort of broad sample set to work with of right. how things could have played out. Mm-hmm. We have just the one uh more or less anecdotal chain of what actually happened. Uh-huh. So we should always be cautious about good or bad um, kind of treating one thing as as only possible as a result of another um, right. in, in that way. I mean, who's to say what might have happened with the development of any number of different areas across Eurasia without one or more of these yeah uh, of it's, these not, plagues, it's or not without much... say the mongol conquest or right. any number of these other events yeah it's not a one for one this happened and this happened it's and um it certainly influenced the later subsequent develop and you can debate how much or how little um and what could have happened so yeah that's that's a fair point so one thing i we haven't talked about and i don't even think we brought up in our uh elements of uh, talk like the background that we were talking about uh, doing this uh, episode on is when did the Silk Road start to decline as a major trading route? Um, well, we mentioned the maritime route, 
and which was always a thing. But um, with the, you know, it's interesting, the success and the wealth brought from east to west, um, the invention of uh, new types of new sailing ships that cut the travel time, you know, you didn't have to deal with, you know, bandits or hostile empires in your way. So technology, the ship to, um, you know, faster ocean going transport really kind of ended the Silk Road. Uh, it's dominance. It didn't, it, it never fully ended, obviously, but it's in terms of raw economic power, it declined after that. I think I think that one of the things that was also kind of involved is just kind of the, the shifting of empires a little bit, the, the decay of the Byzantine Empire, then the collapse of the Mongol at the same, like you know, in that same kind of time period, kind of just start mm-hmm. pushing it, pushing it towards a level where it's like, okay, like there's no, there's no, there's no anchors on each side, kind of holding it together. Yeah, which is why you well, saw places like Venice kind of dry up as soon as the great uh, the. Spanish and Portuguese explorers started opening these sea routes because they were no longer in the middle of the trading. Um, so, well, I mean, but if you look at the history of the silk and spice routes, and and you'll probably have noticed by now that I keep using a plural uh, version of that because I think it's it's so important that it wasn't just one singular route for one singular period of time. It was always something that fluctuated. Uh, and so you you regularly had points where the exact routes that predominated uh, would rise and decline. Particular powers and, and points along the way, whether they be entire uh, sort of empires or particular city-states and caravanserais and things like that, rose and, and fell. Uh, that That fluctuation was always there, but I think... Probably the most decisive factor <clears throat> was the opening of European uh, travel to and economic engagement and exploitation of the Americas. Uh-huh. Because suddenly you had transatlantic trade networks with whole new territories involved that had a range of resources concentrated there rather than uh, in different parts of Eurasia. And so you had a you had a shift to that transatlantic set of trade networks that really took the uh, the shift to maritime routes um, across Eurasia and, really doubled down on that to suck the oxygen out of overland uh, Eurasian trade to a dramatically higher degree and turned to places that were basically kind of backwaters in terms of the old mode of trade uh, in places in Western Europe into major economic powerhouses. Kevin? Yeah, uh, so I think one, like to piggyback off that, uh, one of the stated goals of Christopher Columbus's expeditions, you know, funded by the Spanish government, was to reach the, the or to establish a trade network that, a trade network to, you see, uh, they're, po- they're posting emojis. <laughs> <laughs> I just okay. got to hear Chewbacca. All right, 30 seconds, or 10 seconds, ready? Okay. So 
one of the things, the stated goals of Christopher Columbus and the Spanish expedition that ended up finding the New World was to uh, find a shorter route to Asia to get around uh, what was at the time a strong Ottoman Empire and all these other powers. It was an attempt to subvert that traditional Silk Road, and, and in many cases it succeeded, not necessarily in establishing a direct link uh, overseas trade route to Asia, although eventually some extent, but actually finding this entire, uh, these two continents where the majority of the population died out from disease. And all of a sudden, look at all this, uh, look at all this land and territory and porgs. Uh, I'm not sure. So if, if no one hasn't used Skype in a long time, there's a, you can use emojis and all that kind of stuff when we have sort of doing that at the end. We're having so. way too much fun with this. Yeah, it's really bad. It's, it's gone really... off the rails. <laughs> Whoa, that's a, that's well, an interesting one. Well, that's, uh, my, there we go. The creepy yeah. one that I tried to send went through. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, we're kind of towards the end. So uh, final thoughts. I mean, I guess my would be to note that there's a reason that we still talk about the Silk roads um there's a reason this still has such a a cultural resonance and a a place in the popular imagination even if most people don't know even more than a little bit about the history because uh, i mean kind of the the promises of of wealth and novelty and adventure and exchange of of ideas and people and all of this kind of new stuff uh, to to get exposed to is something that really does capture the imagination. Um, I and I think that's a motif that that's going to last as long as we're wired the way that we are. Yeah, I, I would just say that you know, in the face of this COVID stuff, and not to get too much into modern day, but the uh, sort of certain the uh, isolation instinct that seems to be afflicting many parts of the world. Um, you, as Rob said before, you can't have civilization without trade and exchange. Um, it's just it's impossible to wall yourself off from um, you know if you want to maintain a certain level of civilization that you achieve. So it's 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 an incredibly fascinating part of both ancient society and modern society and it's going to continue to be important in the future yeah i think uh going into that you know it's there's this some idea nowadays that's floated around a lot that globalization i'm putting air quotes around it you can't see it um is this newer phenomenon and in some cases it is but when you look at it realistically this this globalization and this, these interconnected trade routes between disparate parts of the world or disparate power centers have existed for thousands of years. And it's a very, very human phenomenon. And they facilitate, you know, like you said, cultural, economic, political idea exchanges. Um, and in, in addition to uh, exchanges of physical goods and in many cases, you know, they serve as routes for invaders and conquerors. In many cases, for instance, the Mongols, Alexander the Great, to uh, establish these things. Yeah. I... Make money off. Okay. That but, broke up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I didn't catch that at I all. Think, I think he's. What happened? Well, Kevin, well Kevin's gone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but,
but uh <laughs> we chased uh, him away with the gift yeah <laughs> but uh anyway you should uh yeah globalization and all that kind of stuff are we talking about that on april 28th so come check us out there good sec- and uh yeah, and that was what was that was almost dramatic. Thanks, guys. And I didn't even use force lightning on anyone. Thank you. Oh, hate to see it. Okay, we're done. Bye. <laughs> Where'd you go? That was literally the worst time my Chinese feet arrived. Yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly a. Uh, an element of of it is kind of a, a path of least resistance to, hold on, to hold getting on. access to things. I, I gotta so Sorry. I got I just gotta describe what happened. Uh, the best thing. So we're all like on laptops and stuff like that. And I guess Lex needed another drink. So Lex got up, his laptop attached to his headphones, got up and walked to the fridge, opened put this put the laptop down on the ground, opened the fridge door, got a beer out. It was fantastic. I was just I had to mention it because it was so fucking funny. Well, Lex, I <laughs> like, well, it was well, it was well done, but it, like it, it was still great. I barely heard you. It was just like your stuff ninja. Uh, I Lex, can't... I muted you. Unmute yourself. Yeah, Lex, you're still muted. Oh, hold on. All right, I muted Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> you animal, stop! About his fair play. Don't tell me what to do. Okay. Let's, let's, okay. Let's, Sorry. Let's back up. Back up. Back, and uh, back on track, Rob, I think you were talking last before I interrupted you.